Welcome back, everyone. So, as I uh, mentioned in the beginning of our evening um, session, that I'd like to reflect on shifts of consciousness to meet the times we're in. And in particular, being aware, for me, being very aware that we've just come out of what it was meant to be and hoped for landmark COP26 gathering of nations to understand the gravity of our situation, our deep planetary emergency as the climate crisis, the overheating of our biosphere and the collapse of biodiversity, the loss and collapse of ocean life and all of the many consequences that we're living with here more immediately in Northern California, of course, for us, it's the fires, runaway infernos and fires, which are very consequential in so many ways and a deepening drought. So this... Um, Inevitably, I think what won't surprise any of us, as Greta Thunberg says, it's not a secret that COP26 was a failure. I'm not saying that there weren't some really hopeful things and important things and really powerful contributions, particularly the Prime Minister of Barbados, who gave probably one of the most stunning, clear, truthful challenging speeches that we need to hear. But as Greta says, it should be obvious that we cannot solve the crisis with the same methods that got us into this in the first place, or the same mindsets in particular, which is, this reminds me of Einstein's, we can't solve uh, problems we made with the con same consciousness that created them. So this is where really the Dharma has a lot to offer in how underwriting all of the other changes, shifts of green energy to green energy and so on and so on that need to happen very fast. Really, unless we have a change, change of heart, change of mind, unless we really have a, a radical shift inwardly, as a mind itself projects the reality, so many of so much has that has gone awry. Uh, in in our and led us to this point has come from this human mind and its projections and its disconnection with deeper realities. For example, the reality of the limited nature of Mother Earth, Mother Nature, Grandmother Earth herself. We don't live on an endless resource-giving planet. This is said we'd need six planets to live at the, at the level we're living now, and that's just really the more a richer uh, part of the smaller percentage of peoples. Many peoples are struggling and, and not really culpable into the result that we've reached. So, you know, Greta had many other things to say generally in the territory of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so many words, so many words that we've heard, but not really the overall 
more radical consensus that's needed to keep us and stabilize us at the, at the least at 1.5 degrees Celsius. This didn't happen. And this is really anything going over that, even as we probably already maybe over that, is leading us into this chaotic, increasingly chaotic crisis. A life really where, where we, we're moving more into crisis management. And we're, we're the least optimum in our response when we're in crisis management, often as human beings. So we're left with the clear message from this recent meeting, this recent gathering, this recent conference, that those who hold power, well, probably at least 90% of those who hold power, if not more, to shape the destiny of, the power, uh, of our planet are not coming to the rescue. So this is, uh, this is something to digest for us and to understand that each of us has a responsibility and uh, to really undertake the changes that are needed ourselves to step up and to do that more and more collectively to, to you know, there's so much on the line. And this is really intense for us to be with. And this is another place that the Dharma can really help where we need to build resilience, resource ourselves to be able to withstand intensity without completely losing it and getting overwhelmed and swept away. You know, these are very difficult times because people are being activated and unable to withstand that intensity and going into, you know, we see a lot of increase of division of nationalism, of racism, which has always been there, but it's really being become, again, highly weaponized and politicized in, in acts of political arson and here in the US and in my home country and a, a normalization of racist-fueled authoritarianism, which is really the least optimum consciousness with which to manage a planetary crisis. So there's a, a lot at stake, and we're also still living in a pandemic where COVID has been politically weaponized, the war around vaccines, um, which has opened up fault lines in families, communities, between friends, in countries. And, you know, this is a daily impact and overwhelm and agitation and also within that, there's the experience of being more isolated now, one and a half, three quarters, nearly two years in, in the pandemic, which has had mental health impacts for all of us being unmoored from a sense of cohesive society, a kind of feeling of things breaking down and you know, this over-reliance, however wonderful it is for us to be able to connect through Zoom and social media, the, 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 uh, the shadow side of that is actually quite deregulating of our nervous system, sort of eroding a sense of connection with each other. And we need that physical connection for our bodies and our nervous systems and our emotions to regulate more easily. So not only is the weather deregulating, but we're deregulating along with us. And so this intensity goes into a lot of our fault lines and activates very difficult emotions and feelings and more raw, unprocessed reactivity, and more dis disassociated states. 
um, feelings of being defeated and depressed and where life becomes um, a sense of struggle and, uh, you know, being more frozen. So these, these are very deep places of patterning, trauma patterning that sometimes manage more easily in a more cohesive world that is actually being triggered and brought up to the surface and flooding our nervous systems actually in the society. So this is a lot to be with. And again, if we don't really have a context within which to sort of try and place this overwhelm and a way of practicing to withstand the challenge of this moment, then, then we really become, you know, our ability to sustain well-being becomes eroded. And when that's eroded, we're at our least optimum place again to be able to shift from reactivity to breaking the set and having more space to have a clearer response, more effective response. But again, you know, this, the Dharma can really help in very, even the very simple activity that we started with of sitting, grounding, creating space, slowing down is so vital for this, for this ability to resource ourselves and to bring more resilience and to move out of this sort of, I, I almost see it like a planetary psychotic break. I'm not saying that so much in the individual, more usual mental health diagnosis of psych, psych, being, you know, being in, moving into a psychotic break, but as a break from reality, a shared understanding of, of reality. There's this sort of extreme reactivity in, in I think, profoundly in response to the the tremendous threat that we're in, the existential threat that is so is, is deepening into our bodies, into our psyches, into the into the into the society, into the world. I really love that one of the teachings that Ajahn Chah gave a lot is, is to remind us that the practice we do is preparation for when difficult things hit. I don't think in his era he was thinking about <laughs> a mass extinction event that we're sort of teetering on the edge of, you know, that's so enormous. But whether it's that or whether it's the suffering we feel internally from things not going the way we want them to go or from conflicts, the practice actually is the same. It's just the enormity and scale of what we're dealing with is off the charts, you know. But the practice remains. So in the, at the core, of course, of the Dharma and the Buddha's teaching is this template, this profound template of the Four Noble Truths, that there is this experience of dukkha. There is this experience of that which cannot meet us with a deep sense of healing and resolve and connection. The dukkha is that which is, is an experience of unsatisfactoriness in a very subtle ways, but in a more profound ways, you know, fear, a sense of loss, a sense of overwhelm, uh, agitation, suffering, activation into states of very un unpleasant states of mind. 
But the Buddha said, instead of running away from that experience, trying to distract ourselves, this practice of Ajahn Chah was pointing to as preparation is little by little we're building, we can build capacity, groundedness, presence, to just meet that without being shaped by the experience. So, of course, this is the core of the mindful way. The mindful way is to, to bring with this aware, attentive, open, discerning connection with how it is now. And however big the story is and however much we're being activated, when it comes down to now, you know, in the second sphere of mindfulness, the Buddha pointed, is this feeling pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? So in a way, we're tackling something the way it is now. It's just this much. The storyline is huge. It's completely overwhelming for us. But in this much, in this moment, as we meet it, we're dealing with just this much. And if we can do that, then it enables a clearer and more precise and more grounded way of being with whatever is coming and whatever is unfolding to with a mindful resilience to meet just this much, to meet dukkha, not for the sake of suffering, but for the sake of not adding to the suffering through the projection of the mind. It's just like this in this moment. And so to breathe there, and there's an opportunity then to create some space to actually feel what's felt, to be with what's here, but not move into so much reactivity, to not be defined, to not be shaped, to not be completely freaking out. <laughs> Although it's a completely freak out situation. They just say, this is how it is, and just breathe. And in that way, we're beginning to shift to another part of our being, which I want to really look at what that shift is. But also that practice is actually quite healing, regulating, and allowing us to break the chain of karmic reactivity. So we're not perpetuating more and more layers of aversion and distraction and feeling, you know, so we, we, we're building the, the resilience to be able to feel what is and to know this is unpleasant feeling. This is unpleasant feeling. So this is a potent, simple practice, but it's, it's a very transformative because actually when you bring pure awareness, which is the pure, the nature of mind and heart, jitta, you know, there's this word jitta, C-I-T-T-A, jitta. It actually implies both pure mind, pure heart, being jitta. When you bring, you know, the pure consciousness, really, conscious awareness to how it is in this moment, the nature of that awareness, the nature of that consciousness unfettered, just present with, has intelligence. And it's not the cognitive thinking mind in its agendas. It's a whole different dimension of intelligence and that can heal and reorganize and actually 
as we attune to that and recognize it and align with that embodied present jitta heart, present as knowing presence, then actually it also speaks. Ajahn Chah called it the living dharma, speaking dharma, speaking reality, speaking intelligence, deep wisdom, prajnaparamita. And that is that can guide, that can come in a whole different response. So when we don't actually come from that place, we're in really in our pattern. We're being run by the patterning, by the conditioning. We're being run, the self is being shaped and we're being run by some other old conditioning and patterning. And most of the time we are, and that's why we suffer so much. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) but we can break those. We can just, just a few deep breaths, pause, soften not being so wedded to the rightness of our reactions. In the book, Deep Adaptation, Navigating the Realities of Climate Chaos, which is an anthology of really a great um, contribution, including from Joanna Macy of different chapters and reflections edited by professors Jem Bendal and Rupert Reed. It says, I think of something very helpful um, in these that for these times of deep adaptation, because that's actually what we'll be, that's our part of our curriculum now. Life is shifting. We, we're not going back. We're going into something that's actually more destabilizing, much more uncertain, much more overwhelming. And uh, so in in this teaching, in this book is saying, rather than offering a map, deep adaptation is an invitation into maplessness, where all the landmarks that we've previously relied on are found to be a mirage. Those landmarks include assumptions of progress, the superiority of humankind. Instead of scientific certainty, little seems certain anymore. The the triumph of scientific empirical discourse over all other ways of being and knowing knowing has begun to lose its power in orientating people in their world. The trend towards ever greater mapping and detailed measuring of our infinitely complex and changing world reflects the aim of attaining a sense of safety from the mysterious. And so this mysterious nature and reality means that we can't know this jitter, this being nature, we can't know it as an object that we can think about. We can only really sort of like relax into it. It's our nature. But there's a fearfulness around that because there is a a way in that process that we're stripping away the certainty of the cognitive mind and the way that it thinks it knows what the world is and knows the solutions. But as we started with, what got us to this place is this very same mind and its ability to actually undo at depth the the, the disaster that 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 we now find our 
self in from that same mind is going to be very limited because it's running from the same paradigm, the same assumption of extraction, the same assumption of a hierarchy of worth and power, according to, you know, particularly the superiority of humans over nature rather than in alliance with and those that have more power and more superiority and worth and entitlement and so on than others on this planet according to race class economy and gender and so on all of those views are constructed they're the constructions of the mind they're not reality itself they're not the reality of a interdependent interbeing interliving world so we are, we are, we have maps. I think we have a Dharma map, you think, you know, which has been preciously held and is a precious thing and carefully held and handed down to us, which is a great gift. But we also, there's so much unknowing and maplessness that we can soften and release into. We don't, and, and to trust another part of our being. This is the invitation. And often to do that, I think what's difficult about that is that we we have to, in that process, go through feeling what we feel. I think this reliance on the cognitive mental sphere, the thinking mind that, that actually abstracts itself from embodiments, <laughs> from nature. We've had thousands of years of abstraction, religious abstraction, you know, the divine is out there and so on. And Nibbana is <laughs> away from. Um, and so this, 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 you know, this reliance on abstraction has also divorced us from the feeling nature. And it is the inability to sometimes really deeply feel uh, what's happening, feel the pain of that feel difficult emotions, to tolerate discomfort, that those feelings are a source of information. We should feel discomfort. We should feel terror at what's happening. We should feel the fears that we're feeling. We should feel the sense of lostness. All of this is actually a healthy immune response to a massive threat that's happening on a collective level. So it's not that there's something wrong with us. We're feeling what's happening. <laughs> we don't have to pathologize that. But, we, but it's also not that functional to get completely swept away. So to be with feeling without denying, without suppressing, but being willing to tolerate and to allow and to be patient. And so that we can also reach out, you know, we sort of almost need circles where we can meet together to talk about what we're experiencing at this time. There's so much apocalyptic in the true sense of the word of unveiling of, of the systems that we've been living in that are actually rooted in such um, disconnect with reality, often founded in a lot of dis oppression and violence and, and ongoing extraction that is decimating our living systems. How do we feel about this? You know, so we're sort of frozen, like in a trance, trying to go along, but speaking about, that's why I try and speak about these things, to break the spell, 
to speak together to say I feel terrible. It's terrible. I I do. I feel panic. I wake up often feeling this terrible feelings in my body. My body speaking to me. This earth body. What's happening? What's it's true. It's not a false feeling. You know, and it's uh, it's important to give ourselves time and extra care, and to actually, when we're in those states, to know we need to be, again, really, really patient, really careful. To say, I need to be, to to take some, to slow down. This is part of the work. It's not just we're not just machines producing things. <laughs> the next task, the next task, the next thing on my list. We need to take more time. And gentleness with ourselves and each other, and forgiving a lot, and you know, because we're all a little crazed at this time, still overwhelmed, and not really, you know, to 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 be able to manage and digest. It's part of our curriculum, and to really be, you know, we're being we're being inducted and awakening what our civilization has been built on. And why it's so unsustainable, and why it's led us to this point. You know that we 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 we're under the sway, as the Buddha said. This is a projection of the human mind under the sway of greed, hatred, and delusion, not informed by wisdom and compassion. So this, so unless we shift, not just turn shift, you know, create green cars, and you know that's all great. But unless we have a shift of consciousness to underwrite that, then we'll just really <laughs> still go off the cliff because we want to try and live still in in these delusions and illusions of superiority and dominance. But we haven't really fundamentally been hum- humbled. This is a humbling human beings. We have to, we, you know, really this has to be humbling for us. You know, to to feel the grief, you know, to feel to feel the pain of of what has what has brought us here. This long, long story, and to know that those that you know the 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 idea, the reliance on thinking that the, the, the high priests of our society, which are the technocrats, the technocrat billionaires, <laughs> off in their spaceships, which is such a metaphor for this disassociated, you know, it's the culmination of thousands of years of dis- abstracted disassociation. Okay, it might be great, you know, exploration, but it doesn't really feel like it's coming from that place anymore. You know, it's a, it's a mindset, like the corporate mindset that's psychopathically based means it's just transactional. The world, everything's a transaction for profit. You know, it's from, from a mindset that doesn't have this empathy, can't feel. You know, we have, we have these, yes not the sort of thing that should be driving and informing our response. We come from a you know from from decades of back in the UK in the 1980s when I actually fortunately I was in the monastery that time so I just was 
the Thatcher Reagan years just went over my head and it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I remember one thing I do remember, Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister, saying there is no such thing as a society. It's just pure individualism. This isn't reality. This isn't. We're deeply, there's interconnected with each other with every breath we take the trees the plants the animals the, the insects they're being destroyed at a massive level to turn the earth so i don't know what this you know I, what the what the plan is here you know is it for if we don't change course, is, is, the, is, the, is the pinnacle of our human accomplishment a dead planet with a, a billionaire, a few billionaires in their hideaway sitting on a pile of, of money? I mean, can they eat that? <laughs> is that where we're going? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it kind of, you know, if we don't change course from the heart. So all of this has been built really only on the poisons of the greed, hatred, and delusion of the mind, this core cause that the Buddha taught this profound map of awakening to overcome those forces. But it's built on this separative consciousness that is dependent on the cognitive frames, the thinking that what the Buddha called the papancha, the endless proliferations of the mind, the puncture. It means to spread out like a web, unchecked, uninformed by mindful contemplation, uninformed and connected with this mind and rooted in wise, embodied reflection of the pure jitta of the heart. So this invitation in the Dharma is to really, and the invitation of this moment to, is, is to shift, to, to have the shift. Really, I, I remember once when uh, Kitty Sara and I, uh, we went to spend some time with Ramdas. He had been a teacher and a guide in our early Dharma years. And we uh, went to spend a week with him and he was talking about the longest journey from this, this brilliant human mind that has created this back into this heart. This is the final frontier, if you like, not space, coal, space or Mars. <laughs> I mean, who wants to go to Mars, for goodness sake? You know, uh, when we have this incredibly beautiful planet, this gorgeous beautiful mother nature i mean how can you replicate that on a thousands of millions billions of miles i don't even know i don't want to know but you know to to feel in to where we are to connect with this different dimension of being the dimension of the jitta that's in in allegiance with the reality with the living dharma that understands itself as part of a unified field that feels all things are resident in this awareness, that all things are intimate to it, actually. This is the heart of the Kuan Yin Bodhisattva, the Heart Sutra that sees beyond the walls of the mind. 
that knows the Guan Yin is the listening deep jitta heart rooted in the true nature. All things are, all form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. There's no ultimate separation. And from that view, all things therefore are intimate to this heart through this feeling nature. All things can be known, not just clinically known and objectified and named objectively to us, but all things can be known because they're felt. And therefore, Guan Yin is also the compassionate heart. Deep compassion, merciful and responsive. So Guan Yin is a great archetype for this time, great being, ancient being, Bodhisattva, tireless. This is the heart that we need, the heart that we that we're cultivating. This heart, one of the great contemporaries of Ajahn Chah of the Thai Forest School of Northeast Thailand, Ajahn Mahabua, talked about this heart, called it the purity of mind and said, when dukkha stop, nothing remains except this pure awareness. It is the purity of this jitta. If you want to call it nibbana, you can. And he also said, when the mind, when this mind changes lineage and passes from the mundane to the transcendent or the imminent, I think I probably, the transcendence is feel I'm, I'm lifting off, but the imminence of all things, when it changes lineage, it changes lineage from this addictive relationship we have to the perpetual perpuncture and proliferation of the thinking mind fueled by these unclear energies when the when that happens that mind that jitta will see what dies and what doesn't it will know the deathless it will know itself as the deathless the timeless the ever-present it will blossom ajamahabua said as buddho the awareness that knows no cessation There is that which is beyond time. There is so this refuge. This is, the, this is another part of the Dharma, embodying the timeless refuge. Even if our whole planetary system collapses, which will be horrific to live through, and we may have to face that, and it's quite likely, actually. I'm still holding out hope for us to rise up together at this second before midnight. Even if so, there is still the undying that actually is there regardless of all world systems arising and passing and the breath arising and passing. There is the undying nature, timeless nature, the ammata, the Buddha called it ammata dharma, the deathless dharma. This is the change of lineage. This is the shift of the Dharma, the realigning ourselves with this depth. It's in it living Dharma. It's not cold, it's not, it's compassionate, it's intimate, it's deep knowledge, deep knowing. It's a whole different territory of knowing. It's the knowing of wisdom.
that is aligned with the deep intelligence that's connected with all that is. And from that, there's the guidance that can come and response then is very radically shifting and different than our thinking mind, which runs along its own patterning. It can inform that mind, like now, communication. So this is this taste, this alignment with this heart is sometimes called entering the stream of the Dharma, Sotapanna. To enter the stream of the Dharma is a process. It's uh, founded on an insight, deepening insight and the release from being so beholden to the self-view that we have as the ultimate arbitrator of all things that is really shaped and co-arising with each moment, but shaped by often our, our preconditioned views and assumptions and beliefs and the fundamental belief of some solidity of this self. So just seeing through that and seeing that all views or perspectives are actually not ultimate, there there's some views that are very much aligned with the Dharma, right view, first factor of the path, but even those are guidelines, they're not ultimate descriptions. Being able to see through the, the papancha, the, the proliferation of the mind caught in doubt, doubt about the way, doubt about awakening, in chronic states of uncertainty, and uh, trying to think through to the answer, unable to tolerate uncertainty. So seeing through that as the activity of thought and knowing that thought cannot produce without its, you know, being informed by this deeper awareness, a more resolved, play, a more resolved and deep understanding it's a different feeling when you come from that intuitive place and you feel it's really right on every level than sort of reaching out from the headspace. So being able to see through that, those circlings, is this right, should I, should I, shouldn't I, should I? It's all connected again with the sense of self. These are the fetters, the three first three fetters that are seen through as they start to break up and we realize and enter this deeper stream of the Dharma. So that doubt can, can turn to wise inquiry, investigation has a place, but when it's out of control, it's self-defeating. And just really moving from just empty, going through the rituals of meditation, rites, ceremonies, whatever, without really understanding that it's the inward agency of awakening, not the, the just going through this thing that's going to do something in and of itself, but it's the purification of the jitta that, engage, that we engage with. So it replaces these external kind of contracts we have around the sense of self um, that's been learned through social, religious, moralism, into an internally arising ethic, 
conscience, wise, authentic reflection. These shifts are all connected with the process of shifting orientation and coming into a deeper trust in our own wisdom. And so what's stream entry, it's really teachers can guide, but you have to have your own compass that you guide. Doesn't mean to say you can't go off. Even with this, you can go off, you can lose your way. But with this alignment that is said in the Dharma, there are certain things that you 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 cannot do. There's a, there is a taste for there is a there's an awakening into this unconditioned amata dharma, which is said to be sanditiko, which means it's the characteristics sanditiko, which means it's always here and now. You don't have to be the perfect person, the perfect meditation. You can be in a bad mood, and the dharma, the timeless dharma, is always here in the midst of all conditions, all circumstances. Akaliko, it's also beyond time. It's ehipasiko, which means ever inviting, come and listen, come back, come back to your being. It's always, our heart's always inviting us home. It's opanayiko, which is, means leading inward to the source, leading back. Pachatang. So it's one of Ajahn Chah's most favorite words, pachatan, to be tasted by each person, each being, this amata, taste of peace. Such a being, as the fetters weaken, as the illusions of the mind, as the, you can still experience greed and hatred and delusion and restlessness and ignorance until all the fetters are freed and purified and transformed. But this significant shift into the Dharma way, it's, it's when a being, such a practitioner, has, uh, it closes the door to falling into what's classically called the lower pass, into extreme states and staying there. We might experience stream states, but we don't really get lost there in being addictively driven, being caught up in hellish, being incapable, really, more and more incapable of, of, harm, of deliberately, intentionally carrying out acts of harm. Is able to relinquish, relinquishes naturally envy and hypocrisy, domineering, Placing them with generosity, authenticity, upliftment of others. It's not so much about, you know, having to be on the top of the pile like those billionaires <laughs> racing each other. It's so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. You know, so this beautiful way of how, you know, God, you know, if you had billions, what? What one is so beautiful what you could do for living beings, for Mother Nature, for the humans, for those needing homes. And such a being cannot be sustained a lie, cannot be really untruthful. Such a practitioner has entered the way of the stream of the Dhamma, the shifts, made the shift, deepens into the shift of alignment with the timeless heart being I mean, you might still tell lies you know and fabricate but you, you the the conscience urges so strong you have to try and put it right quickly 
to rectify things that have where you've gone off. So this way the karma becomes straighter, more aligned. So this is the territory of the jittas. It's this it's more mysterious, more inviting into the more formless. It's a movement beyond over-reliance for all information, for all direction, for all guidance from our thinking mind. It's not that that mind isn't brilliant, but to give space and time. Let me just, and just to feel sometimes something that comes from a very different part of our being, from that prajna paramita, that intuitive knowing of the heart. So inwardly, it's moving beyond that which separates us out or having so much allegiance to the walls of the mind. It's not to say we don't hold skillful boundaries. That's important in life psychologically for protection, sometimes very important. But deeply, on a more deeper level, that's actually quite fracturing for the heart. To not fear, to be able to withstand the whole cacophony of the manifestation of beings from the gross to the subtle. I know, as the Buddha said, under his tree of in the, the Bodhi tree in the night of awakening, he didn't like Mara, the, that all of that which overwhelmed and undermined and haunted him. It was like Okay, let me see you. And when it comes to looking at the world, it really is, let me see you. Let me just, let's just see it. Don't avert our gaze. Yes, sometimes I have to go to Netflix. <laughs> I have to go like, to, it's like, it's, you know, uh, to, to, uh, it's too much, but you know, the deeper intention, this is the place and the jitter and the heart. All our patterns aren't going to work out, but we can actually, this formless presence of pure consciousness can intersect, intersects all the time with the manifested. And at that level, one can intend, make a deeper intention to align and be a conduit for the deeper intelligence of the Dharma, of Mother Nature, just, you know, to that everything will line up, what we say, what we do, how we act, how we show up now. We can put that intention. And yes, we'll have our moments of losing it and hiding under the duvet. But more and more, it's like the Buddha, okay, this and this too, and this too. It's, you know, without having to be so reactive and upset. We feel upset, but being able to manage with this Dharma practice, this knowing heart is invulnerable, actually. It has capacity, diamond-like, it can cut through the illusions, it can reflect back the, the multiple things without being defaced. 
It's timeless, it's rooted. And when that heart feels and finds its home in our embodied sensate, emotional, felt sense experience fully, it's uh, integrated and not split. So as the world goes through dismemberments, as it must, because what has been created is not sustainable. And as we feel that dismemberment, there is something that is not being dismembered, that is this knowing heart present to how it is. We can allow the frames of references, the uncertainty, the ground moving beneath our feet to say this is actually how it is. Things are uncertain, trying to find certainty in the uncertain. As Ajahn Chah said, we are bound to suffer. We're going through a process together, which is really challenging. And yet within that, there is a gift. There's a gift in this time, whatever the outcome is. And that gift is to heal to what we can inwardly and outwardly, to choose love, to choose compassion, to choose to be here, not just for ourselves, but to actually be here for life itself in service and devotion. It's a beautiful choice we can make from a clear intention. We're here and we have this opportunity as the veils are being lifted and the suffering is being revealed to us from the systems we've been living in, we have the opportunity to awaken together. There's a beautiful thing that Joanna Macy has been such a wonderful guide for so many of us over so many years. Such a, I had an opportunity to talk to her the other day for the Spirit Rock Climate Day, in her 90s, and just completely lucid and presence and this beautiful heart, everything that she sees, and yet this beautiful heart still shining, loving clear. She said, the wave of the future is on the local level. Don't waste your heart and mind trying to pull down what is already destroying itself, but come into where you're almost below the radar and reorganize life. We want communities where we live and work and fight for the future. This really feels in the way of the Dharma. It's not to say that we aren't going to engage in trying to stop, to try and protect what we can, stop what is harmful, protect what we can. The Buddha did that out on the streets, the equivalent of. <laughs> but actually the way of the Dharma is also the shift of consciousness, the shift of allegiance beneath the radar and allowing that movement from that for us to reach out beyond our silos, I think this is the next step for us to more consciously come together in groups, to more consciously have these conversations, to support each other, to explore where do we want to show up and how do we want to show up together. 
one of the act activism events that I've been to, many of them that have been led by indigenous nation people, First Nation peoples, um, that there is this great sense of, of, of particularly at Standing Rock, which was such a, such a, I think it was the only decolonized space I've ever really been in. Well, maybe there's some others when I was younger, but there was such a sense of together, you know, that we're here together. And I remember one elder by the, the sacred fire talking about when the Iraq war started and there was a grandmother elder praying and the ancestors came to her and said, your prayers are wonderful but it's not enough. This is the time when we have to pray together. They said, you need everyone to pray with you. This is the time when we stand together. This is the time when the prayer of the heart, the heart's always in prayer for life. This is the time when we let that heart speak, when we don't hold back, when we find our authentic voice. And there's been so many centuries of oppressing <laughs> that voice. And to let that shine, to let it be moved without all the filtering of these ancient conditionings of fear and guilt and oppression and not worthy, all those voices, these old stories, so that this new story can actually have life and space and movement in this mysterious unfolding from within us. And whatever the outcomes in the midst of this unprecedented situation we find ourselves in, what we can rely on will be true. Will be this refuge in the Dharma, this timeless Dharma, this ancient Dharma, this ancient heart, this living presence, this river of entering the stream that can carry us and guide us. In this we can hold faith and to this we can give our devotion. Okay, well, we're just about to launch a new website and we'll have more of uh, around this uh, climate mo mobilization quite soon, but in the chat, we have the website and you can get in touch through that. And um, our books, Kitty Sarah and I wrote the book, Listening to the Heart, a journey to engage, contemplative journey to engage Buddhism. I think really our engagement from the monastic life too, uh, really was our work in South Africa when we found ourselves in the middle of the, the AIDS pandemic. And, you know, just to really contemplate not just inward enlightenment, but outward action and response um, to a very overwhelming situation. And then the book I wrote, Time to Stand Up, is really much more directly speaking to um, a Buddhist response, activating a Buddhist response to climate emergency and why that seems to often be failing somewhat <laughs> and looking really at the sort of philosophical underpinnings that, that have led us to this point, including 
the patriarchy in Buddhism and how that operates and crushes this more passionate life force of uh, that's needed to be channeled for to fuel a right response, mindful response at this time, engaged response. In the new year, yes, someone's asking me. Um, yes, I, I think I could do, do a monthly thing around the time to stand up. Um, could definitely be happy to do that, maybe with the book and so on. Um, sorry, I'm reading something that not everyone can see. So, but uh, in the new year eve, Spirit Rock will be doing a Guan Yin ceremony, Kilisara and I, in an evening to invite you in. And so I think, you know, this part of the next, I'm hoping this next few months of this year to just sort of like clean everything up, get things. <laughs> I just feel like we've had this opportunity with COVID to try and simplify and strip down and get kind of focused. And then next year we have to really step up and, and to focus our energies. And I'm really up for supporting that. Okay, dear friends, thank you so much um, for joining tonight and for being together i really appreciate appreciate being able to share and contemplate these themes and um, look forward to catching you down the road take care everyone may all the blessings of this practice and this time together and all that we're thinking about may that generate out into the world and ignite all beings' hearts with love and for this life, for this earth, for each other to stand up at this time to protect and to be part of the bringing a new story that we need, the new world, new story that we need for the future generations. May it be so. Thank you, everyone. Stay well.